Coming to you from a library basement at Georgetown University, it's Kevin and Zach. And this is CCT, the groundbreaking, well-established podcast by Novus, the academic journal of the CCT program on campus. We'll be discussing issues relevant to communication, culture, and technology. As FDR once said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, which Granted, is poetic, but is it true? There's so much to be afraid of in contemporary society. There's the looming threat of nuclear annihilation, um, the possibility of smallpox going on a reunion tour, and Slenderman. Slenderman. He preys on innocent youth. All of these fears stem from a common source, the unknown. How do the expressions of these fears morph and transfigure in a digitally mediated society? What can we learn from Monsters Online? Today, the tea will tell. Oh, that was good. Okay, so, just to like, recognize my biases right off the bat, Monsters, me and Monsters, uh, friends, pals, we love them. Uh, they helped me grow up. They go way back. Yeah, they raised me as a child. Uh, but yeah, like throughout my childhood, my mom was like a big horror movie fan. And we're talking like, horror may, might be wrong. We're talking like black and white, Frankenstein, Dracula, like the old monster movies. Okay. Um, and then Buffy the Vampire Slayer, all of that. So horror and monsters, very ingrained in me as an individual. Um, also very ingrained in me as an indiv- individual using the internet to define everything around me. Um, internet boy and monster boy combined equals internet monster boy. <laughs> me. thought yeah. you were going to say Slenderman. <laughs> no, I was going to, but then I didn't want to self-identify as Slenderman. That's fair. Uh, yeah, so um, how did internet monsters and internet urban legends come to be? Zach, do you have any idea? I don't. I, I mean... We hear tales of how these old stories came to be, old myths and legends. You know, mermaids came from, you know, crazy sailors who had been on the ocean for too long, seeing seals or walruses from a distance and just, I guess, wishing that it was, you know, uh, a beautiful woman with a fish tail or something. Um, and same with, you know, dragons or other kinds of monsters of, of yore. But uh, I don't know how these new new age monsters become so viral online well i am here to educate us teach me something Um, so the main form of like well obviously like let's first recognize that um the internet as a relatively new place um allows certain affordances to exist in storytelling and literature that weren't available before like the virality of online media like you couldn't really get that in a book i mean certain yeah sure like certain like playground stories you could somebody could write and be like oh um goody proctor is the devil that was i don't know i saw goody proctor with the devil yeah and then like pass that around and then maybe that little myth would become like this local legend that is unique to your community but online somebody can just like write up a 
blog post or like a call out post. Anyway, so the internet allows certain localized legends to go all over and like morph to fit certain settings and scenarios. So like you read about this certain story online and you're like, when you go to tell your friends about it, you're like, yeah, I think it was at this street or this landmark, something blah, 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 blah. Um, so it allows like the local to become global to become local. Hmm. Do you think that if that it affects like the embellishment of the stories in the same way that like word of mouth would have for, you know, pre-internet based myths and legends, you know, if, if one person saw whatever and they went and told someone else that story gets a little bit bigger and then they told someone else and the story gets a little bit bigger but with the internet it's already you know it's written that that shared content is just kind of set in stone so to speak and yes people can reimagine it and retell it with their own details that they might want to add but do you think that that embellishment comes as naturally as it might without the internet to i would say yes probably in a different way um so actually I'm just going to say yes. I'm going to say yes, and then I'm going to elaborate. Yeah. So the main places that these stories are shared are on, there's a website, the Creepypasta Wiki, um, which Creepypasta, a term that here means um, scary story online, with the ver- like the verbiage comes from copy-paste, like things that are copy pasted a lot on the internet, people would call copy pasta. Creepy, creepy things that people pasta. copy and paste all over and share online. Creepy pasta, creepy copy, creepy pasta. It makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. So there's like the wiki, the creepy pasta wiki, and then there are subreddits, r slash no sleep, um, and other places online where people go to share these like short stories called creepypasta that are these urban legends. And I think the social nature of the internet and sharing these stories um, pushes people to exaggerate because they want their story to be the biggest and not unlike sensationalized news. Hmm. Um, You gotta break the mold to to gain attention. mm -hmm. Something has to be interesting or big or uber spooky mm-hmm. or it's going to be like I don't care we have a creepy slender man who's more interesting than that so we've made a lot of allusions to slender man who is slender man he preys on innocent youth so slender man t- is probably the most prominent figure to come out of these creepy pastas Um, he's this guy, maybe, he's this being who is super tall, um, normal-sized torso with super elongated arms and legs. He's always in a business suit, and his face is, it doesn't, he doesn't have a face. He's just like a white head. Pretty, pretty creepy. He usually appears in the background of other people's photos. Um, so he's like chilling in the background, just kind of like you have to stare at the photo for a long time. And then you're like, oh, God, Slenderman's in the background there. Hmm. Um, he was actually created explicitly by someone who was trying to tap into this um, community of 
scary stories online. This guy created Slenderman as a part of a creepy Photoshop contest on a forum called Something Awful in 2009. Um, but because of the unique nature of the internet, people were like, oh wow, here's this creepy dude. I heard this other story about Slenderman, this creepy tall guy appearing in the woods one time. Or like, people would start to produce more photos with Slenderman in the background, just chilling out. And he organically became this shared monster online that everyone had like, there was a defined mythos. The legend was born. The legend was born. Wow. And they've even, like, this This has become a movie, right? Like, this is not just something that is strictly online. It's it's kind of evolved and adapted into other, like, forms of right. entertainment. It's Slenderman has a movie. He has a documentary. He, does he have merch? Honestly, probably at your local Hot Topic. <laughs> um, Slenderman's the most notorious of these creepypasta figures, probably because in 2014... Um, three 12-year-olds, 12-year-old girls went out into the woods and two of the 12-year-olds stabbed another one of the 12-year-olds uh, 19 times. Jeez. Because as they, they were later picked up on like the side of the road by police um, and they were trying to walk like 200 miles north to like the woods in some northern state, to meet Slenderman, who they were hoping to appease by killing their other friend. Wow. Luckily, the person who was stabbed, she lived. She was found by a bicyclist. Um, and the other two 12-year-olds are currently in jail. Um, so yeah, that became a, a big deal because there was this what seemed like such a unique phenomenon, some creature created online. Radicalized children. <laughs> radicalized children to stab their friend 19 times. Wow. And I think just the like weird nature of the crime was what it made it be picked up by literally everybody. Like, whoa, the internet is making kids kill themselves. Like, ah, scary. Um, which it is. That's to say that it isn't would be uh, mm, fake news. Fake news. But I mean, stuff like this has been happening. I don't want to say forever because have I been around? No. No, I haven't. But like, people join weird cults where they believe um, things that seem absurd. Salem witch trials. Salem witch trials happened before the internet. <laughs> before yeah, way before the internet. Um, there have been cases of people killing other people because of what Ouija boards tell them. The concept that a monster or a folk legend would push people to do things that are um, atrocious, I don't think is unique to internet urban legends. But, that being said, um, this incident, understandably, raised a pretty hefty discourse on how children should be censored, like how online content should be censored from children. Hmm. Um, and I, I don't think that it should be. And I think that a lot of people don't think it should be. Yeah, it, that's hard. It is very hard because obviously parents want what's best for their kids. 
and they view their kids as these pure, innocent, malleable beings that if exposed to the the horrors of the internet, which we know there are very dark areas of the internet that really no one should see, uh, let alone a, a small child. Um, so I get where the intent comes from, but it does, it becomes hard to figure out how to do that, how to enforce that, and yeah, there are just lots of mitigating factors there that make that difficult. Yeah, and yeah, speaking of horrible things online, me, when I was trying to be like, when I was trying to find proof that this wasn't a unique thing to internet urban legends, but like people have been influenced to do horrible things by strange causes throughout time, and I found out some pretty gnarly stuff. Yeah, um, I believe it. So yeah, I, I also understand why parents would want to protect their children, but the, the stories of Slenderman and other like creepypasta, I don't see as very different from any urban legends that have ex- existed beforehand. Monsters and urban legends that have existed beforehand. Um, so there's like this idea, obviously, that monsters represent a certain fear or desire that humans are uncomfortable that they experience. So like vampires are always like sexy and they're they're undying and they hypnotize people. Um, like that's the human fear of like owning sexuality and mortality. Um, Frankenstein's monster. People were afraid of science and medical progress. <laughs> Let's kill him. Um, and now Slenderman. There's a lot of um, media scholars that think that Slenderman is unique to our generation because he's always in the background of people's photos. He like kind of allows, there's a professor from the University of Central Missouri, Eric T. Newsom, shout out Missouri also. Go mules. Um, says that we only see him because we're self-surveilling. We have pointed the camera at ourselves and only in pointing the camera at ourselves do we see the horror character behind us. Wow. So it's kind of this idea that Slender Man is unique to show us like, ooh, wow, we sure care a lot about capturing our own moments without looking at our environment too much. So kind of like a, I hate that I'm about to say this because it, it goes as like a criticism of the supposed narcissism of the supposed selfie generation. And I kind of get that. Yeah. It's yeah. also such a clean narrative, maybe too clean for me. Maybe it's just like people thought Slenderman was creepy and they wanted to pass him around. Yeah, you know, you said that uh, these types of things have been around, these types of stories. It's not exclusive to the internet. I remember reading, uh, did you ever have the book Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? Oh, yeah, terrifying. Which, yeah, and they're making into a movie I just saw. But I remember reading that at age like 9, 10, 11, and there are some pretty graphic stories in there, like pretty dark stuff. And similarly, I handled it. I realized that it wasn't real. It didn't make me like want to murder my fellow children. And likewise, I think the internet isn't corrupting children to that degree. Yeah, no, and our, our good friend Jacqueline D. Woolley, the director of the Children's Research Lab at the University of Texas at Austin, would agree with us. Um, as she said, that research has shown that by the time that children are nine years old, 
their ability to distinguish reality from fiction is at the same level as any adults. Hmm. So to say that children need to be protected from internet urban legends because they are like citing this case of these 12 year olds stabbing another 12 year old saying that children can't distinguish reality from fiction uh fake news i think the real issue here is probably that because of the rich media environment that the internet has created um and the ability to manipulate information online not just children but society as a whole has a hard time distinguishing sometimes what is real online and what is not real online yeah and that's another issue that isn't completely exclusive to the internet obviously we've seen an explosion of fake news just over the last few years because of you know the political climate and you know people on social media getting caught up in information silos where the content that we see and share and consume gets kind of fed back to us in this perpetuating loop that keeps us stuck within our own convictions. This fake news epidemic is not exclusive to the internet. It, it dates back in the United States, at least all the way to the times of like Thomas Jefferson. In, in 1807, he was decrying the, the press as, as being false and creating these, these fake narratives to put people down or whatever. And we've seen it throughout the years. Uh, According to the Columbia Journalism Review, um, they wrote a story on the, the real history of fake news and talked about some of these specific instances. Um, there, in the 1830s, for example, uh, there were several publications that talked about uh, moon hoaxes, us landing on the moon, there were aliens on the moon. I think Edgar Allan Poe might have even contributed uh, some writing about uh, a moon hoax in the 1830s, and it, it you know stirred up a frenzy in the in the public eye because people believed what they read and shared what they read, and you know it caught on and spread like wildfire. I like fully would have believed any of those, and if I was like an 1830s guy walking around, yeah, I'd been like, guess what, guys? There are aliens on the moon. Yeah, because still 2019, Kev is like, guess what, guys? There are aliens on the moon. But I digress. Going a little bit further, in the 1930s, um, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds radio broadcast. Um, that was a really interesting one. He goes on the radio on Halloween and starts doing this, this show that's disguised as a news broadcast, saying like, oh, these aliens have landed in this small rural northeastern town, and there's Martians, and they're in these spaceships, and people are dying and being like shot with lasers and all this stuff. And... Uh, it, it caused a little bit of panic because people would tune in, assume it was a news bulletin, and consider it real. So we have seen these types of examples throughout history, and you know it, it's not necessarily new nowadays on the internet, but it certainly is more pervasive, I think. Right, yeah, it's interesting and telling, I would say, that you brought up some profound literary figures in discussing these moments of... Uh, fake news becoming sensationalized like oh is this really happening kind of urban legendy stories like mm -hmm. Edgar Allan Poe um, and Orson Welles and those guys and I think that narrative of literary figures experimenting with new forms of art and writing that kind of play with ideas of authority um, like they use 
uh, avenues of traditional informational authority, the media, to tell fantastic stories so people can't really discern, like, oh, is this... Is, should I be afraid? Or is this, like, a fun joke? And right. I think in instances like that where it's like, should I be afraid or have fun? People are usually afraid. Um, but yeah, that's like a common theme f- of the creators or from the creators of these internet urban legends like Slenderman and this uh, notorious creepypasta called Ben Drowned. Um, all of the creators of these always talk about um, their motivations being to cooperatively create new folklore that plays around with traditional narratives by using things like uh, doctored screenshots to show like haunted game cartridges and obviously Photoshop to show Slenderman creeping in the background of pictures. Um, and they like use the meme of creepypastas as an avenue to experiment with new forms of literary exploration. But sometimes people reading them are like, whoa, this guy wrote about this thing on the internet? It's true. The Brothers Grimm would have a field day in the digital oh, age. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Yeah, it's uh, it really is an interesting phenomenon. And it's, it's awesome that there's like these communities online that exist solely to tell each other scary stories and to like experiment with new narrative structures and like have fun with each other. Yeah, it is kind of a cool collaborative form of expression um, that prior to the internet you probably could have found in small circles, but definitely not on the scale that uh, Creepypasta can allow. So even though I was just like, wow, Creepypasta is this safe haven, this utopia of creativity, it also falls to the tropes of the times. Everyone always complains about how popular media there's nothing unique anymore. Everything's a sequel. Everything's a spinoff. Everything is just to rip something nostalgic from your childhood and beat it with a stick for money. Um, and Creepypasta does that too. But in, I think, a unique way? Because nostalgia, as theorist Svetlana Boim defines, is the desire to turn history into a private or collective mythology. So nostalgia exists to provide a sense of community um, among people to rally behind like a shared past experience. And in the past, and I think this explains why there's such a boom of nostalgic content now and always maybe, um, nostalgia was experienced as like you might think about the most profound moments of, like, a TV show that you watched when you were a kid. You might think, oh yeah, I remember, like, this one scene really impacted me. Aw, great, and that was nostalgia, that was it. You could talk about that little scene and be done with it. But now, because the internet allows us to access any information anytime we want, if we get that little wind of nostalgia, <laughs> um, 
we can say, oh, sick, I'm going to stream the entire show that I watched in my childhood eight times um, and just slurp, slurp, slurp up that nostalgia. So I think Creepypasta noticed that human desire, like now that we have all this access to any media we've ever consumed, um, Creepypasta was like, hey, that's cool. What if we played on people's expectations of like what they remembered? So now there's so many stories about like, oh yeah, you remember SpongeBob? Well, there was an episode where something dark and scary happened and it's really traumatizing, but you just don't remember because your nostalgia um, says that you only remember the good parts of SpongeBob. Yeah, it's you see a ton of those like only 90s kids will remember this on, on social media. Uh, which plays on that, that kind of sense of nostalgia. And uh, one of actually the examples of the creepypasta um, stories, I guess, that, that play on that nostalgia is the Lavender Town Syndrome. Uh, for those who are unaware of what Lavender Town is, it is from the wonderful, wonderful games of Pokemon uh, from Game Boy back in the late 90s. Red, blue, and yellow versions. Yes, the classics. Uh, and there was a town you could get to called Lavender Town. And in Lavender Town uh, was a haven of ghost Pokemon. On one hand, it was kind of dark because you learned that Pokemon could die, which I remember being kind of taken aback by as a kid because when yeah. you're battling, it just says, oh, your Pokemon fainted, and you can take them to the, you know, the Pokemon Center. Pokemon Center. And just bring them right back. Because they had universal Pokemon health care. Yeah. They had it figured out. They really did. <laughs> what a society. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in Lavender Town was all of these ghosts. It had its own like spooky theme music, and that's where this uh, creepy pasta story comes from. Uh, according to their their page, there was a peak in suicides and illnesses of children between the ages of seven to twelve shortly after the release of these Pokemon games uh, in Japan back in February of 1996. Um, and so the rumors say that it was only children that were affected by it because the theme music had very, very high frequencies um, that only children and young teens could hear because their ears are more sensitive. Uh, and that's something that I remember hearing as a kid, not tied to this, but just like, oh, there's dog whistles you can play that adults can't hear, but kids can. Um, so that type of like logic makes it seem more believable. Mm -hmm. So now, like, when you hear these stories online about Lavender Town causing these horrific things, it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it really is an interesting phenomenon. Um, and all of this is to say that nostalgia is a, a product of the past that we experience in the present, um, but the only way we have access to our past is through forms of mediation. And uh, that's kind of an allusion to our previous episode on media, memory, and placemaking. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, tune in. But anyway, my tea is getting a little cold, Kevin. Uh, so I think it is time for Kevin's cold take. What do you got for us? Deciding what to believe and what not to believe can be hard sometimes. The internet makes that harder. If you see something online, that you think isn't true, it might be. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, and that cold take actually segues pretty nicely into our content for next time. We will be devoting a full episode to this epidemic of fake news that we are experiencing. 
Um, we're gonna solve fake news next week. We're gonna do what we can. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for bearing with us. If you have questions or comments about the episode, please feel free to reach out. Our contact information is in the description. I think that's all we've got for today. Thanks for bearing with us. This is Zach and Kevin, logging off. Baboo! <laughs> this is a play on bye. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Bye! Oh, that was good.